Pride and Prejudice by Jane Austen, Volume 1, Chapter 19. Previously, in Pride and Prejudice, we met the Bennets, the Bingleys, Mr. Darcy, the Lucases, Mr. Collins, Mr. Wickham. All sorts of major players have been introduced at this point. The main thing you need to know is that Jane is in love with Bingley. Bingley's in love with Jane. Jane Bennett. Bingley's sisters are not happy about it. Darcy, his best friend, is not happy about it. Darcy's in love with Elizabeth, but doesn't think that she's good enough for him. Elizabeth hates Darcy. Wickham is in the mix, and Lizzie has a big old crush on Wickham. Um, and Darcy and Wickham hate each other. It's a lot of drama going on there. Mr. Collins is going to inherit the Longbourn, the Bennett's estate, leaving the rest of the Bennett sisters destitute and has made it clear that he wants to marry Lizzie. Lizzie is not excited about this situation. Last chapter, there was a ball where a lot of these characters continued being themselves, essentially. Wickham wasn't there. He was avoiding Darcy. He was too scared to see Darcy. Um, Darcy danced with Lizzie and continues to think that she's great. Lizzie fought with Darcy and continues to hate him. Lizzie danced with Mr. Collins and continues to hate him. Mr. Collins spent the evening making Lizzie's life miserable, as per usual, indicating that he's still planning to marry her. She was not happy about it. Jane and Bingley spent the evening together, and they actually enjoyed themselves, so that's nice. Um, I think those are the big things from the ball. And now we get into chapter 19, where Mr. Collins makes his move. Alright, so chapter 19. I can basically um, summarize this chapter as Mr. Collins proposes and Lizzie says no, and then Mr. Collins says that she must be lying and then she says no I really don't want to marry you and it ends with him still not believing that she doesn't want to marry him it's a pretty short chapter well it would be short except for that Mr. Collins is very verbose so here we go the next morning so the day after the ball um, Mr. Collins comes down and says that he wants to speak to Lizzie alone Lizzie doesn't want to but her mother says that she has to she specifically says, no, no, nonsense, Lizzie. I desire you will stay where you are. And Lizzie, I insist upon your staying and hearing Mr. Collins. And Elizabeth would not oppose such an injunction. So she is sort of forced to stay there alone. And since she knows that he wants to marry her, and she knows he would try to get her alone to be able to propose, she's pretty sure she knows what's coming and she's not excited about it. But Mr. Collins is. So Mrs. Bennett and Kitty both leave them alone. And now Mr. Collins starts with his proposal, which is going to take up most of this chapter of just him talking and talking and talking. So first of all, he says that um, Elizabeth's modesty, he likes that. He thinks that's what it was. That it's not that she doesn't want to marry him or that she doesn't want to be anywhere near him at any time. It's that she's modest. That's why she didn't want to be alone with him. Gag. Um, so she, she started with that. 
and it's very uncomfortable. It says, he says, you would have been less amiable in my eyes had there not been this little unwillingness, which is gross in my opinion. I don't know. It just feels very slimy and gross that like, ooh, the fact that you didn't want to be alone with me, you don't want me, that makes me more excited. Like, ew, I really do not like that at all. He comes off, this is, I think, where Mr. Collins come off, comes off the slimiest, in my opinion, this whole thing. Blech. Um, but he says, well, you have to know what I'm going to say, basically, your natural, de however your natural delicacy may lead you to dissemble. My attentions have been too marked to be mistaken. Oh, she knows, but, um, she's not happy about it. He does not get that part at all. And then finally he says, almost as soon as I entered the house, I singled you out as the companion in my future life. And he has to use that qualifier almost because, if you remember, he first wanted Jane and then found out Jane was practically almost engaged to Mr. Bingley already, so he moved on to the next one. And that's how he ended up with Lizzie. Um, and then he says, um, he says he wants to state his reasons for marrying before he has run away with his feelings on the subject. And I think it's very funny that it says, the idea of Mr. Collins, with all his fallen composure being run away with by his feelings, made Elizabeth so near laughing that she could not use the short pause he allowed in any attempt to stop him farther. And he continued. So she has to stifle her laugh with him saying, talking about being run away with his feelings because he obviously is not run away with his feelings. Um, he has no feelings for her at all, it's very clear. And then he goes on with his reasons for marrying, which are boring. I mean, listen, he, Mr. Collins has talked so much and it's like nails on a chalkboard every time he opens his mouth um so he says that it's the right thing for every clergyman to marry blah 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 to set an example for his parish blah 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 secondly that it'll make him it'll add greatly to his happiness notice he doesn't mention anything about his wife being happy that's not important just that she's happy and thirdly which i perhaps i ought to have mentioned earlier that it is the particular advice and recommendation of the very noble lady whom I have the honor of calling Patroness. So, Lady Catherine de Bourgh told him to get married. And um, I think we all know that that is the real reason he is here today asking for her to marry. Is that Lady Catherine de Bourgh has told him that he must marry. And therefore, he is going to go marry. And she says, so he's now quoting Lady, Lady Catherine de Bourgh saying, Choose properly, choose a gentlewoman for my sake, and for your own, let her be an active, useful sort of person, not up, brought up too high, but able to make a small income go a good way. This is my advice. Find such a woman as soon as you can, bring her to Huntsford, and I will visit her. Um, which is rather condescending in a bad way, right? Like, don't act, you know, don't get a lady too high, brought up too high. Don't, don't marry anybody who thinks that she's like my equal, for example, because obviously she is not. Um, so, you know, get somebody who's going to be a good economical with your money and a gentle enough lady that I can then, you know, boss her around and see her sometimes. Um, and then he says, you know, by the way, you know, I don't think it's the least of the advantages of marrying me that I can introduce you to Lady Catherine de Bourgh, you know. I have such fine connections. Um, and then another interesting thing he says is, 
and your wit and vivacity, I think, must be acceptable to her, especially when tempered with the silence and respect which her rank will inevitably excite. Which to me means um, that Lady Catherine will not enjoy her wit and vivacity, which we will find out when she actually meets Lady Catherine in person, that no, Lady Catherine does not enjoy Elizabeth's wit and vivacity. Um, she would only enjoy her respect and silence. Um, which Lizzie's not going to give her, and wouldn't have given her if she married Collins, and it would have been very, very problematic. Um, so then he explains that, okay, so that's why I want to get married at all. Now, why I have chosen you and come to Longbourn is because um, of the fact that I'm going to inherit your father's estate, and so I thought that it was a good idea. Um, to come and to like make amends to his daughters by marrying one of them, and that's why I specifically have chosen you. Um, and that I will make no demand on you for money because I know you don't have any. Because I'll, again, all of the money is going to go to him anyway. So of course, Lizzie's not going to inherit any money. All goes to Mr. Collins. Uh, Mr. Collins is inheriting any money that would have gone to Lizzie. So that seems a little roundabout there, in my opinion. But he just says, On that head, therefore, I shall be uniformly silent, and you may assure yourself that no ungenerous reproach shall ever pass my lips when we are married. And this is when Elizabeth has had enough. So he's been going on and on about why he wants to get married, why he's chosen her specifically, all of this. Um, and she has to break in with, Okay, wait. You are too hasty, sir. You forget that I have made no answer. Let me do it without further loss of time. Accept my thanks for the compliment you are paying me. I am very sensible of the honor of your proposals, but it is impossible for me to do otherwise than decline them. I feel like that's pretty darn clear. She's like, okay, thank you very much, but no. And Mr. Collins comes back with another really smarmy, slimy reply, saying that I am not now to learn that it is, the usual, it is usual with young ladies to reject the addresses of the man whom they secretly mean to accept when he first applies for their favor, and that sometimes the refusal is repeated a second or even a third time. I am therefore by no means discouraged by what you have just said, and shall hope to lead you to the altar ere long. It's just so gross. Mr. Collins cannot take no for an answer, and I really don't like him <laughs> in this part. And she just is saying, you know, your hope is rather an extraordinary one after my declaration. I do assure you that I am not one of those young ladies, if such young ladies there are, who are so daring as to risk their happiness on the chance of being asked a second time. I am perfectly serious in my refusal. So she's trying to tell him, no, for real though, for real deep. I said, no, I mean, no, this is not some weird game we are playing. Get over yourself. And then she says, a very iconic line I enjoy, You could not make me happy, and I am convinced that I am the last woman in the world who could make you so. Which I think is very, very true. Lizzie would not make Collins happy. Collins, I think, lucked out with Charlotte. She is a very good wife for him. I think he does make him happy. And that's what he is saying why he wants to get married, is because it's going to make him happy. That was one of his three reasons. Um, and I think she's right, that Lizzie would never be able to make him happy because she would not be able to, like, be silent and, like, agree with him and be reverent to him and his patroness 
so it wouldn't happen. It wouldn't be good um, on either side. It would be a very, very disastrous marriage if they were to try and get married. And I think Lizzie sees that and is correct in her assessment. And also she says that were your friend Lady Catherine to know me, I'm persuaded she would find me in every respect ill-qualified for the situation. I also think that's true. She and Lady Catherine, as we see later, do not get along. Um, Lizzie would not be willing to get along with Lady Catherine or to just to keep the peace, as we also see later, the way Charlotte is able to do. Um, and so that would make the whole living situation very uncomfortable as well for everyone involved. And that is something that actually breaks through to Mr. Collins, where he's like, well, we're, we're certain that Lady Catherine would think so, said Mr. Collins very gravely. But I cannot imagine that Lady, her ladyship would at all disapprove of you. And you may be certain that when I have the honor of seeing her again, I shall speak in the highest terms of your modesty, economy, and other amiable qualifications. Ugh. So Lizzie is still trying to convince him, like, no, but, but I'm not going to marry you, though. No, this is a real no, for real seat. And there's an interesting thing here where she asks him to pay me the compliment of believing what I say. I wish you very happy and very rich, and by refusing your hand, do all in my power to prevent your being otherwise. Which is really, I think, interesting, because Mr. Collins, throughout this whole thing, pays compliments all the time. They're really gross and awkward and weird compliments, but that's, like, what he's always trying to do. And even, like, the first night that he showed up to Longboard, he's, like, talking about these little compliments he likes to bestow on ladies. Um, and here she's saying, no, here, bestow me this compliment, then. Believe me when I say something. Under, you know, like, listen to what I'm saying and believe it. That's the compliment I want from you. I don't want your flowery, weird, like, you're so beautiful kind of compliments. I would like you to pay me the compliment of just listening to what I say and believing it. And, um, hashtag feminism. That's something that women have been fighting for for forever. Um, and then she goes through some of his reasoning saying that, like, you know, in making this offer to me, you have satisfied the delicacy of your feelings with regard to my family and may take possession of Longbourn Estate whenever it falls without any self-reproach. So, you're trying to make amends, um, and you are now off the hook because you have done your part of trying to make amends, so you'll get the estate and you don't have to feel guilty about it at all because you did your best. I'm giving you that. Take that burden right off your back. Not your burden anymore. You did it. Good job but I'm still not marrying you. Um, and Mr. Collins still is not accepting her no. She keeps trying to say it. Because um, she, she ends her little speech with this matter may be considered, therefore, as finally settled. And rising as she thus spoke, she would have quitted the room had not Mr. Collins first addressed her. So she's finally like, okay, no. We're all done. This is over. My answer is no. The conversation is done. She's about to leave the room. And he stops her with, When I do myself the honor of speaking to you next on the subject, I shall hope to receive a more favorable answer than you now have given me. Like, oh my god. He still doesn't get it. It is not penetrating his head. He is not listening to her. He is not believing her. It's so annoying. And then he goes on with saying that I'm not accusing you of cruelty because I know it to be the established custom of your sex to reject a man on the first application. And perhaps you have even now said as much to encourage my suit as would be consistent with the chief delicacy of the female character. Which is like, 
what do you think women are like? Like, I don't understand why he thinks. It's one of those things that are things that I think point out that Mr. Collins has no, like, real-life experience of anything. Um, because he, I, I'm assuming he gets this from books or something. Like, I don't know where else he would get this kind of idea from. Um, the idea that, I don't know, these delicate females are refusing people they actually want to marry in the future. I'm assuming he's getting that from some, from like literature of some kind or books or something because people don't actually act that way, I don't think. Um, at least Lizzie is saying people don't actually act that way. So he's got like this weird romanticized version of something that he thinks he knows from somewhere and it's very strange. But I think it shows, again, he has no like real life experience about anything for the most part. Um, and Elizabeth is again going back with him like, no, but for real. I'm not going to marry you, saying, really, Mr. Collins, you puzzle me exceedingly. If what I have hitherto said can appear to you in the form of encouragement, I know not how to express my refusal in such a way as may convince you of its being one. Like, I have told you in every way I can think of that I'm not going to marry you, and you do you are just willfully misunderstanding me. To willfully misunderstand. I think I'm stealing that from Darcy. I feel like that's something that, um, Darcy says that Lizzie willfully misunderstands things. And I am choosing to take this and say, no, it's Collins who willfully misunderstands. I mean, Lizzie does too. I don't think he was completely wrong in that situation. But in this situation, I'm stealing Jane Austen's words from Mr. Darcy to say that Collins is now willfully misunderstanding because he's refusing to understand and accept that Lizzie might actually be saying, no, not going to marry you. Um, and his reasons for that are that he is full of himself, because he says, You must give me leave to flatter myself, my dear cousin, that your refusal of my addresses are merely words of course. My reasons for believing it are briefly these. It does not appear to me that my hand is unworthy of your acceptance, or that the establishment I can offer you would be any other than highly desirable. My situation in life, my connections with the family of the Burgh and my relationship to your own, and our circumstances highly in my favor, and you should take into, into further consideration that in spite of your manifold attractions, it is by no means certain that another offer of marriage may ever be made to you. Your portion is unhappily so small that it will in all likelihood undo the effects of your loveliness and amiable qualifications. As I must therefore conclude that you are not serious in your rejection of me, I shall choose to attribute it to your wish of increasing my love by suspense, according to the usual practice of elegant females. All right, so let's take apart this little speech here. It's basically that Mr. Collins cannot understand that why Lizzie would say no to him. Even though she keeps saying it, saying, no, I won't marry you, I don't want to marry you, I don't want to marry you, he's looking at it from a practical money standpoint. And he is, I think, correct in that, in the sense that it is a eligible match for her financially. Um, it would keep her in her same status. It would allow her to inherit her family home with him when her father dies. Um, it keeps her very... He's monetarily keeps her in the same social, kind of social echelons that she's in now. Um, it secures her a relatively good living, um, financial security for the rest of her life, which currently she does not have as an unmarried woman since she's not going to inherit anything. So he's not wrong in his reasoning that his financial qualifications, so to, so to speak, are pretty good. 
they are acceptable for her sort of status in life. He's not wrong in that sense. What he's not seeing is that Lizzie is not willing to marry for just those things, for just the money. Because um, if she was going to marry somebody just for the financial consideration, Collins is an eligible match, right? He can give her a relatively comfortable home for now and back give her back her current home when her father dies. It's a pretty good thing. It allows the money in the house to stay in her family. Um, it protects her sisters and her mother when she, because if Mr. Collins inherits, if and when, um, you would assume that he would allow his, you know, his mother-in-law and sister-in-laws to stay in the house now because they are more immediate family um, once he inherits. Um, and Lizzie could help, you know, make sure that happens. So it protects her, it protects her whole family. It is a good economical match. He is not wrong about that. And he's also not coming from a bad place, I don't think, with this idea that he wants to protect his cousins by marrying one of them. I don't think this is an evil plot. I don't think that he's coming from an ill-natured or bad concept. The problem is he doesn't know these people, and he doesn't know Lizzie, and he doesn't understand why Lizzie would be saying no to him. And the reason is, is because she wants something more than the money. She has not given up on the idea of marrying for love and wanting somebody that she can respect and have a good life with. And in all honesty, Collins is not that person. He is not the person that she can have a good life with and respect and feel happy with. And that is very, very clear to her. I will also say that she, I don't think, sees the insecurity of her position at this point in the way that maybe her mother does or some other people do at this moment. Because we are also in a place here where she is assuming Jane, just like her mom, she is very much assuming Jane is going to marry Mr. Bingley any minute now. And it is very clear to me, I think, that Lizzie feels like that's going to be enough. That Mr. Bingley will take care of everybody. You know, the other girls will get married eventually. Lizzie might not get married, but that's going to be okay because she'll just live with Jane wherever Jane ends up because Jane's going to marry Bingley and it'll be fine. He'll, she'll just live with Jane and Mr. Bingley forever and that'll be fine. Like, I really do think that in the back of Lizzie's head, she doesn't think that she's ever going to be destitute, right? She's going to figure it out. It's all going to be fine. She's not really that worried, I don't think, about this situation the way it seems like Mrs. Bennett is over the moon worried about it. And, you know, she's, and we'll talk about it in a couple chapters or when the Charlotte situation happens, she's in a very different place than Charlotte, too. So she, he is not wrong about the economics of the situation that he is offering her being a good thing. And all things being equal, if he was not who he is and he wasn't awful, it wouldn't be a bad match if she could put up with it. But she is not of the personality to be able to put up with it. And that really is the problem. And so she brings back the compliment thing again, saying that I have no pretensions whatever to that kind of elegance which consists of tormenting a respectable man. I would rather be paid the compliment of being believed sincere. So yet again, she is trying to say to him, pay me the compliment of believing what the F I am saying to you. Just believe me. Believe what I'm saying. Accept what I'm saying and stop being so weird about it. Um, so she says, I thank you again and again for the honor you have done me in your proposals. But to accept them is absolutely impossible. 
My feelings in every respect forbid it. Can I speak plainer? Do not consider me now as an elegant female intending to plague you, but as a rational creature speaking the truth from her heart. Which is very um, impassioned way of saying, again, no. Believe what I'm saying. I'm not trying to be elegant or make you fall in love with me more or some other weird thing. I am telling you, no. Pay me the compliment of believing me. You know, show me that you respect me by believing what I say. And she uses that phrase, a rational creature, um, which is something I believe is from also used later in Persuasion, where um, Admiral Croft, I think, and his Mrs. Croft then, I believe that's what those are their names, Wentworth's older sister and her husband. Um, I think the older sister, Wentworth's older sister, is the one who says that women are rational creatures. So I just noted that as something that, like, is not a turn of phrase I hear regularly, but it is one now I have associated with finding in at least two of Jane Austen's works. So it'll be interesting to see if it's in more as I go through more of them with a fine tooth comb as time goes on. But even after this impassioned speech, Colin still does not believe her, does not pay her the compliment of believing what she says, and says, You are uniformly charming, cried he, with an air of awkward gallantry. And I am persuaded that when sanctioned by the express authority of both your excellent parents, my proposals will not fail of being acceptable. And then the last paragraph of the chapter is, To such perseverance and willful self-deception, Elizabeth would make no reply and immediately and in silence withdrew, determined that if he persisted in considering her repeated refusals as flattering encouragement to apply to her father, whose negative might whose negative might be uttered in such a manner as must be decisive, and whose behavior at least could not be mistaken for the affectation and coquetry of an elegant female. So Elizabeth is finally like gives up and she's just leaves him there like doesn't reply to his last thing he said and decides that if he keeps asking her and doesn't take her no for an answer she'll have to apply to her father because at least when mr bennett says no he can't think that he's just being that mr bennett is just being an elegant female and so he'll have to accept that no from him that's her hope anyway and that is the end of that chapter so the entire chapter again was mr collins proposes lizzie says no Mr. Collins doesn't believe her. Mr. Elizabeth tries to tell him that no, for reals, no, though. And back and forth a few times until Elizabeth finally just walks out of the room. In disbelief, because Mr. Collins will not listen to a word, she says. And then next chapter, we get to see some of that fallout from Mr. Collins. Um, another relatively short chapter, and I think it's mostly about the fallout with Mrs. Bennet and talking to Mr. Bennet and confirming that Lizzie will not be marrying Mr. Collins. So I'll see you back next time for chapter 20 and the fallout and Mrs. Bennet having a um, hissy fit, temper tantrum, nervous breakdown, something along those lines about the fact that her daughter has said no to a marriage proposal and it's uh yeah it's it's an entertaining chapter i love mr bennett in it it's gonna be good 
And Mrs. Bennet is also very funny, I think, in this chapter. So it should be fun. See you then. Thank you.